Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. So this week we are addressing the question, what does God call the church family to look like? And yesterday, if you missed the program, we kind of laid some basic principles for just the fact that God does call us together corporately. It's becoming more and more popular to check out of church either because nature is your church or because your family is your church or because just God doesn't call us to that. And yesterday we addressed that from Scripture today. You know, if we look at the the landscape of American evangelicalism, in, in my opinion, there's been a decline, at least in terms of its visible influence. And many things could be attributed to this, uh, not the least of which is God's sovereignty. However, let's talk about the human side of things. A lot of men, for instance, have just checked out of church. A lot of churches have shut their doors. A lot of churches look no different than the world, um, offering either entertainment like the world or pop psychology like the world. So what's going on? I mean, what are, if we look at, you know, the Western church, if we look at American evangelicalism, what are the main problems, brothers, with our churches today? Let me just say this. I was reading on a blog uh, the other day. The blogger said, unfortunately, much of what gets communicated on Sunday is a steady diet of gumdrops and milk. I'm finding it hard to sincerely engage in anything resembling worship. Instead of feeling the joy of joining with other believers in offering praises to the Almighty, I often feel insulted, bored, and disconnected from 2,000 years of worship history. Rather than investing 80% of our energy attracting non-existent seekers, why not focus on those who already believe, are desperate to grow, and are urgently desiring to live out their faith in this fallen world? And so basically saying the problem is is though people have, have actually connected to the spirit of the age in the church. And Dean Ng said, whoever marries the spirit of the age will find himself a widower in the next. Mm, and yeah. and that's, the, that's the big problem. We're, we're always trying to get to something new instead of connecting with the faith once delivered to the saints. Mm. I, I, one, of, one of my answers to this question would be is just, I think there's a continual fight for doctrine in the church, a continual fight for what is the truth, like what you were saying. And I think part of the spirit of the age is we've become anti-doctrinal. And you mm-hmm. can see this in, in funny websites like Babylon Bee. We've talked about this several times on the show before. That's where we get all of our news, by the way, is the <laughs> Babylon Bee. But there was an article here um, recently that said this, congregation prays for graduating senior to be protected from basic secular arguments that they've never bothered to prepare her for. And mm-hmm. uh, C.S. Lewis talked about this, you know, where if we don't give... Um, our people in our churches, a grown-up faith. And if we give them just a childlike faith, and when they get to the, the grown-up world, they won't have arguments against, you know, grown-up secularism. And uh, I think, I actually think that this is one thing that's really passionate to me, because if we, you know, I think it's insulting to our young people, especially where we're going to send them off to university. They're going to learn, you know, complex things in engineering or mathematics or, or how to be a doctor. And they're going to learn these high, heady mm-hmm. things. How insulting is it to bring them into the church then and teach them 
nothing. You know, stuff that you could read on the back of a cereal box. Many years ago now, early 90s, there were three sociologists did an extensive study. And they were coming at it from a secular standpoint. They did a study, one of the mainline denominations, which was a mainline denomination that I was a part of at that time, the Presbyterian Church USA, and why it was declining so precipitously and why their membership was just uh, falling catastrophically. Uh, They came to an interesting conclusion. Once again, they weren't coming at it as theologians. They weren't coming at it from a biblical perspective, just sociologically. And they wrote a book about their, their findings. The, the, the title of their book was Vanishing Boundaries. And they said that what this denomination has done is it has erased boundaries between church and world and is essentially teaching, it's essentially teaching the, some of the same values that the secular culture is teaching, only dressed up with some religious verbiage. And they said, if the church is teaching the same things that the world is teaching, why go to church? Now, that was a very interesting conclusion that was ignored. But the, and the way I've often put it is, if in church on Sunday morning, you are teaching essentially the same values that you could pick up at Starbucks, mm-hmm. go to Starbucks, the coffee's better. Yes. Mm-hmm. If we're not offering an alternative in church, if we're not offering a biblical faith, Christ-centered alternative in the church, if we're just offering helpful hints for happy living mm-hmm. and some kind of pop psychological advice about how to have a happier life and have a little Jesus sprinkled on top of it. If that's all we're offering, yeah, yeah, people are going to choose Starbucks and the NFL over us. Yeah, R.C. Sproul used to always say that the problem with the church is really they've forgotten who God is and they've forgotten who we are. And Josh was talking earlier about the idea that we no longer care about doctrine and we we minimize all of that. And and instead, Mm -hmm. we've we've entered into moralistic um, pop psychology, trying to just make people feel good about themselves. Um, But it's interesting, as you work through the book of of Romans, you have 11 chapters of just beautiful, rich doctrine and theology, and and it's God exalting and and man abasing. And then you get to chapter 12, where it actually calls the church to now do something with all of what they've been taught. Paul appeals based upon the mercies of God that they've seen in 11 chapters and said, what does it look like if you really know who God is, that's going to transform how you live in response. Mm -hmm. He gave them a big God and then called them to big action. And that action was that a call to commitment of giving of their entire lives in service unto God. And that involved having their minds renewed. Yeah. We're not watering things down. We, we are training up our young people to think and be intellectual and, and to engage. And, and this idea of thinking involves the will and the mind. It's not just our intellect. It's also our affections. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've often said, it's no mystery why the young people have left our church. Yeah. If you give them a small God. Why bother showing up? Yeah, right. right. Give them a big God. Yeah, you it know, calls them to big service. I've heard people say, "Okay, but let's let's play a little devil's advocate here." Paul says in in the Corinthian letter, "Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies." And that's almost like a, "Hey, you know what?" But that's what doctrine will do to you. If you learn doctrine, then you're going to be arrogant. But Paul yeah. loved to quote Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, "If you want to boast in anything, boast that you know God." Yeah. Right. So the only knowledge that can't puff up, it's impossible yeah. for a knowledge of God to puff somebody else up. True knowledge of God yeah. Yeah. with true knowledge of self 
always leads to humility. And as Paul would say, he says, I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the most important thing. We we live in an age of moral therapeutic deism. You know, the 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 whole idea that is embraced around now even the entertainment industry rather than uh, the proclamation of the gospel and the good news. I want people to leave church saying, I heard good news, not um, I heard uh as you said, happy, you know, so many points for happy living or something like helpful, that. Helpful, helpful hints, hints for, ha- for happy living. Helpful hints for happy living. I want them to leave not with a, a list of things that they have to do, but with a, a heart response that says, like Calvin said, I, here I offer my heart promptly and sincerely to God. Mm-hmm. That's the, the response to the good news that we've heard. And Russ was mentioning about all the doctrine that we find in in Romans until we get to Romans chapter twelve and the therefore it's the same thing in Ephesians, the 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 majority of the book of Ephesians you don't find an imperative a command until you get to chapter four. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of this call. Up until that point. Um, all the way through Ephesians, we have an indicative. This is this is who God is. This is who you are. This is all these things are being said, and up and not until chapter four yeah. do you have the very first command in in uh, Ephesians. We think of Scripture as being commands when it's really telling us who God is and who we are. What what yeah. Russ said in in terms of um, what R.C. Sproul communicated. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I. I love it if people come out of church and try to give me a compliment and say that was a great sermon. But at the end of the day, I don't want them just to hear a great sermon. Mm-hmm. I want them to see and behold a great God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the greatest compliment I, I think I can speak for these men that you could give any one of us is to, to walk out of church and say, you gave me a vision of God today. Yeah, mm-hmm. that helped me see I, him I, in his word. I have this uh, a dear parishioner, and when he comes out of church, he he gives me a firm handshake and he says, "Great text, great text." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, I want to appeal to you know some people who maybe don't connect some of the dots on on how important this discussion is. If we move if we move away from doctrine, we are necessarily moving towards a gospel that teaches justification by works. And the reason why that's true is because if we say, well, it doesn't matter what we believe, what God was really looking at is what we sincerely do and how we sincerely feel and, and how we sincerely perform. Well, that's necessarily justification by works. And that betrays the very Protestant foundation of our faith. If you think doctrine doesn't matter, that's the direction you're moving. Yeah. Um, in, in the 20th century, uh, in in many churches that uh, that really went astray, there was a watchword that they used: that doctrine divides, but love unites. Uh, doctrine deny uh, doctrine divides, but mission unites. Mm. And uh, it once once you head down that path, if if you think doctrine is is divisive, and and it certainly can be, truth is divisive. Yeah, uh, tr- truth <laughs> will will cut you know between it. Ex- it exposes falsehood, and people don't always like that. Um, but it, without the w- without the foundation of doctrine, we are quickly going to d- devolve. You know, th- as you're saying, Josh, if you think love is the replacement for doctrine, pretty soon love becomes a work. Mm-hmm. It becomes a measurable achievement. 
And now all of a sudden we've got no gospel. We've got the legalism of do this. Well, that's the ironic thing about this. (laughs) Phil, what is love? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the minute that you start answering that question, you're getting into the doctrine doctrine. And it's like, oh, no, no, we can't talk about that. Well, then what exactly can we talk about? No, we... We just need to go do that. That's justification by works. Yeah. Yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right. Now you're into doctrine. By the way, we're all for doing things. And, <laughs> absolutely. Well, right. we're, and, and we're all for love. Yes. I, I want to say I'm, <laughs> I'm big on love. Yeah. Uh, but who, who defines it? What defines it? Doctrine defines it. And I think this goes back to what I was referencing earlier in Romans chapter 12. We define love by, according to how Scripture defines love, and we define love's actions according to how the Scripture defines love's actions, and we're not being conformed to this world. It's mm-hmm. not loving, endorse, and condone sin. Mm-hmm. That's hurtful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we need to speak the truth in love and come alongside and say, well, no, anytime you're outside of what God has commanded in His Word, it's going to be harmful for you. Yeah. That's loving. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We're asking the question this week, what does God call our churches to look like? If you've missed any of our past broadcasts, please go to reformationboise.com. You can also find information about our upcoming annual conference. We hope to see you next time.